0: guy howard heckle will forever be 11 years old in his parents eyes his mother nancy heckle spoke about her son in her last interview in 2002 to the cedar rapids gazette saying quote i remember him the age he was i think about him every day she added with a heavy heart quote i'm sure some of my friends are saying why put yourself through this but it's not like i will ever forget about it. A fun trip with his Boy Scout Troop 101 in Lynn County would be the catalyst for an over 50 year old tragedy that casted a dark cloud over the Kiwanis cabins, Iowa and the entirety of the United States of America. But would the tireless work of volunteers and law enforcement and the eagerness to find their son be enough to bring Guy home. All that and more, coming right up. People say Ted Bundy didn't show any emotion. I showed emotion. The following episode is not suitable for those under the age of 13. Viewer discretion and parental guidance is advised. Cedar Rapids is described as a vibrant urban hometown and is reportedly the largest corn processing city in the world. Now the second largest city in Iowa includes the counties of Lynn, Benton, Cedar, Iowa, Jones County, Johnson and Washington counties. And in the early 1960s it had also been home to the heckle family date was december 20th in 1961 and to many it had just been a regular wednesday the song the lion sleeps tonight by the tokens topped the charts in the united states but to howard f heckle and nancy heckle it was time to welcome their baby boy guy howard heckle into the world and Guy's two older sisters, Kerry and Holly, had also been eagerly awaiting his arrival. Now not all too much is known about Guy's early childhood, but when Guy had been a 5th grader at Eisenhower Elementary School in 1973, he was said to have been a good student. The family of five had lived in the 1500 block of 48th Street Northeast in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and everything seemed to be going well for them. It is reported that in 1973, Guy became a member of Boy Scout Troop 101 in Lynn County, Iowa, though it is not clear what the exact date was that he joined the troop. But what we know for certain though, is that the group had gone on an excursion and camped at the Kiwanis cabins along the Cedar River near the Duane Arnold Energy Centre, which was northeast of Palo and two miles northwest of Toddville on February 3rd 1973. The trip itself was supposed to be a fun camping experience with his fellow boy scouts, though as the sun set at 5.25pm nobody could prepare for the situation that was about to unfold the young scouts had been playing a game of capture the flag which is a traditional outdoors game a sport game and they were playing it just to finish off their day and you know just have a bit of fun at the end of the day usually the game's length can be determined by the number of teams the number of players and the area that they were playing the game in at least six people or more is ideal for this game although we don't know how many people took part in this game on that night, in that evening. The rules of the game are quite simple. Each team tries to take the other team's flag and get it back to their base. A rule that varies often is if a player gets tagged by the other team in the opposing half of the playing field, that person can either be out of the game, become members of the opposite team, be sent back to their own territory, or be frozen in place, aka in jail until freed by a member of their own team. The game ends or one team wins when one of the teams gets the opposing team's flag back to their playing field, back to their base. Hence the term capture the flag. Occasionally the teams wear dark colours if they're playing at night in order to increase the difficulty of the game, their opponents finding it harder to see them. This seemingly harmless game though would soon become everyone's worst nightmare. The last time that anybody remembered seeing Guy had been at approximately 8 p.m. on the 3rd of February, 1973, while all of the troops had been playing a game of capture the flag. The Des Moines Register reported a few days later on the 6th of February, that Guy had possession of the flag at the time and was supposed to be hiding it to keep it from being captured. Unfortunately for Guy and for his loved ones, nobody noticed that he was missing until it came to bed check that night. The scouts attempted to locate Guy for about 90 minutes before they decided to contact the authorities. Guy Hecker was then reported as missing to the Lynn County Sheriff's Office in Cedar Rapids on that late Saturday on the 3rd of February 19. 73, at about 9.30pm, after disappearing without a trace into the dark of night. The Eisenhower Elementary School 5th grader had been wearing a light blue nylon quilted parka, striped multicoloured maroon jeans and chuka boots. To grasp a full understanding of how exactly this case played out and to understand all the facts, we're going to be going through the case more or less day by day or each day that it was reported on, and that's so that we can establish what really happened in this case. All available regular and reserve deputies, Marion police, and civil defence volunteers started looking for the boy just before midnight. The search efforts continued into the night, searching the reserve near the Cedar River's ice-clogged backwaters, though this search effort was to no avail. Officials had to call off the search at about 2.30am, before picking the search back up again when daylight broke the following morning at around 7 30 a.m the sun rose that morning just as it had done the day before only this morning nobody had any idea as to the whereabouts of guy howard heckle everybody clung to the hope that he'd be found soon safe but just a bit cold it was sunday the 4th of february 1973 when a searcher or a fisherman different reports to tell different information about who exactly what the career was of the person who found this but Whatever the case, they stumbled upon Guy's blue parka that had become snagged on a log along the river's east bank. The parka, when found, was still zipped at the bottom, which has been the cause of a lot of puzzlement for a lot of people ever since. Guy's parents were, of course, already on the ground, and it was his mother Nancy who identified the parka as being Guy's. The same day, about 500 people searched a heavily wooded area, located about a mile, or one6 kilometres west of Toddville, not far from the Cedar River. Search efforts continued into the next day, Monday the 5th of February 1973, with additional resources being deployed to aid the authorities. A helicopter, an airplane, an all-terrain vehicle and horses were all deployed for the search, with an additional 250 searches on foot who scoured the area with the help of bloodhounds and a special search and rescue team that had come to aid from California. It was at this point in the investigation that the investigators began to speculate or hypothesize about whether Guy had accidentally slipped and fallen into the river and then been taken by the waters. Though they tried to remain open to all other possibilities. And soon enough the weather began to turn and a blizzard was on the horizon. The search was subsequently called off when darkness fell and was then scheduled to resume the following day. On Tuesday the 6th of February 1973 Guy's parents gave statements to Des Moines Register. With a sorrowful heart his father describes his son as quote adventurous but said quote this lad wouldn't disobey rules set by his scoutmaster. On one of the heaviest affirmations he uttered that day, he said that although the family hadn't lost hope their son could be alive, he said, quote, If the Lord has taken his soul, I want his body. A searcher by the name of Mrs. Robert Claypool, who knew the young boy, stated in the same of The Des Moines Register article that Guy, quote, was an obedient, cooperative boy. He isn't the type who would go against the rules. Mrs. Claypool had been Guy's first den mother in Cub Scouts, and she went on to state quote if you were to pick a boy or a family that something like that would happen to it wouldn't be the heckles the next day on wednesday the 7th of february 1973 the community was sent into a frenzy when there was a reported sighting all the way in illinois of a little boy that looked like guy who, who could be guy potentially a waitress and a service station attendant in carlock illinois reported seeing a boy sunday nights, which was February 4th, the day after Guy went missing, or they saw reported seeing him on that Monday morning on February 5th, it's unclear. And this boy told the waitress and service station attendant that he hadn't eaten for 24 hours before asking them for food. The boy apparently told them that he had run away from his home in Iowa, which fueled the theory that this boy could be Guy. Now, this boy cannot be persuaded to return home. The authorities were told by these two people. Sheriff Walter Grants said that the description of this little boy, the clothes that this little boy had been wearing, matched the description and clothes that Guy Heckle. Had- been wearing when he went missing by this point the investigators did not believe that guy had run off voluntarily but they did admit that he could have become lost and disoriented sheriff walter grant said that the fact that they hadn't yet been able to locate the missing boy even with such massive search efforts made the runaway possibility the most hopeful chance of guy being found a suggestion that everybody was desperately clinging onto. By the time midday on Thursday the 8th of February 1973 came around, the hopes on the lead that the Illinois boy could have been Guy Heckel were shattered. The two witnesses who had claimed to have seen the Illinois boy were shown a picture of the missing 11 year old Guy Heckel, and they both agreed that Guy hadn't been the boy that they had seen. That same day, the Sierra Madre volunteered their search and rescue squad from California to aid in the search efforts. They were flown to Iowa by the Air Force and had 13 searchers directing search operations for the youth in the Toddville area. The Californians linked forces with 200 Iowa Electric Light and Power Company employees who aided in the search as they worked with the boy's father. They worked in a grid-like pattern in the 2 miles or 3.4 kilometers northwest of where Guy had disappeared. But still, on that day, they could not locate him. And by Friday, the 9th of February, 1973, frustration had begun to brew. Sheriff Walter Grant gave a brief interview on that day, which... He basically explained that he was just as clueless as everybody else had been in the whereabouts of Guy Heckel. After having their last leads proven to be a dead end, he couldn't help but express his disappointment, saying, quote, we're right back where we started from. When asked if there had been any other solid clues, he responded, quote, absolutely none. That same day, a theory was published in the Des Moines Register that suggested that maybe the 11-year-old Guy Heckel. Had made the split second decision to run away from the camp in fear of initiation by older scouts. Now The police at the time generally discounted the idea that any kind of abduction had taken place and on the following day, the 10th of February 1973, Guy's parents made what some see to have been a desperate measure. They contacted a group of Missouri clairvoyants to assist in the investigation. It is unclear if the investigators had been involved in sending some of the boys clothing and a picture to the facility. But the Cedar Rapids Gazette stated the items were flown to the Psychic Research and Training Centre in Richmond Heights. They hoped that the group could be of help in locating Guy through Extrasensory Perception or ESP. I can't believe I'm talking about this in an actual true crime video. ESP. Clairvoyance. What's that all about? They, they're they gonna use the Extrasensory Perception and psychic abilities to help locate Guy. Beverly Jagers was the director of the centre and reported that several clairvoyants in the institution had an impression of a quote small ravine obscure in the middle of a mound in a small wash. Beverly also clarifies that aiding in this case hadn't been an isolated occurrence as the staff at the centre had apparently worked on numerous different missing children and missing persons cases. She said as many as four of the center's 12 staff may go to the site of a disappearance to try and Find out more and aid further, and it is unclear whether these clairvoyants went to the site of Guy's disappearance or not. Six days later, on the sixteenth of February, nineteen seventy-three, scuba diver Les Smith, Joanne Staffin, Bernard Skolt and Orville Nias were brought in to search the icy backwaters in the Toddville area, looking for the boy in the icy waters of the Cedar River as reported by the Cedar Rapids Gazette. And this had not been a task that they took lightly. A second group of men assisted this group of scuba divers by making sure to clear out any ice that quickly formed in the water due to the cold conditions. This group of men, the second group, was led by Howard Heckel, who is pictured on the right, and Alan McBurney, who had been on the backhoe machine. Alan's employees had been the ones to haul the ice out of the water and bring it onto the shore. Despite hours of tireless Work, they tragically were unable to bring Guy home. More than a week had passed since any public updates had been given about the case by the time that the 25th of February 1973 came around. It had been on that day that in the Cedar Rapids Gazette, George Griffin, who had been the captain of the Sheriff's Department of the City of Cedar Rapids, decided to address the public with a personal thank you to everyone involved in the attempt to locate Guy Heckel. In his statement, he told the Gazette that although their searches had been unfruitful thus far, he had been immensely touched by the willingness to help out by the community of Iowa and various other states. He went on to say, quote, There have been numerous occasions when I, as an officer, and we, as a department, should have expressed thanks to many people for assistance in investigations, that have received less publicity, but for some unknown reason we take too much for granted and consequently just assume that people will know their efforts were appreciated. The difficulty in extending personal thanks is that we have no idea as to the names and addresses of all those who assisted. Those people encompassed all age groups, social, ethnic and religious backgrounds and were drawn together in a tremendously harmonious effort toward a common goal. Again, thanks to all for the physical help and moral support. I am sure it was offered with great personal and financial sacrifice. On the 28th of February 1973, the possibility of foul play began to be analysed in the case, and it was reported in the Des Moines Register that the Iowa Bureau of Criminal Investigation, also known by the acronym BCI, would send an agent to look into the sudden disappearance of the young boy. This had happened at around the same time as Guy's father being told by one of his sons scoutmasters that a boy had told them that there had been an unknown person shining a flashlight into their bedroom window three nights after Guy's disappearance. Howard Heckle went on to express his dissatisfaction with the local authorities for not looking deeper into this incident previously. Just jumping in here because uh, as it turns out, the footage for this next part and the part later on in this video is corrupted. So I'm currently on holiday in Greece and I'm just refilming it so that we can get this video out. So let's continue. After Guy Heckel had gone missing, there had also been apparently a ransom call to his parents in which a man claims have known the whereabouts of the missing child and stated that he would reveal the location after being paid an unknown amount. Sheriff Grant stated the department had looked into the call but considered it so vague they didn't regard it as a ransom request. He stated that the call had been traced to a payphone in Cedar Rapids. Howard Heckle's frustration led him to pen a letter to a representative by the name of Raymond Logue, a legislator, and in this letter he complained about what he described have been a lax investigation by the local authorities. Sheriff Grant went on to say that there still had been no evidence of foul play within the disappearance. Even though his discontent had been made apparent, Howard Heckel made sure and emphasised that he didn't blame Lynn County Sheriff's Office. He hadn't been criticising Lynn County Sheriff's Office, who had been in charge of the case. Howard said that if he and his wife had to mortgage the house down to the last dollar, to have every angle in the case thoroughly checked, were more than willing to do so on wednesday the 30th of may 1973 the cedar rapids gazette released a sorrowful statement from the parents in regards to the state of the investigation recently the lynn county sheriff's department announced that its part in the search for our son guy Heckel, is concluded we are sorry to lose their assistance but we realize that the officers have many other important duties which demand their time and attention they have spent many man-hours in search of our son, and we are sincerely grateful. This, however, was not the end of the Heckles' fight. They continued, quote, Since this announcement, we have received numerous inquiries regarding the search being ended. We want the public to know that the search is definitely continuing. As parents, our children are our first concern, and when one of them is missing, we are unable to give up at this time. On weekends, we are aided by relatives and friends. There are others still searching on their own. We have not yet sent public or private thank yous because we do not want to give the impression that the search is finished. The help we've received from the community is immeasurable. There are no words to express our gratitude, especially for the hopes and prayers from friends and strangers alike. On the 26th of May in 1974, the Lynn County Sheriff's Office and the Iowa Bureau of Criminal Investigation or BCI announced a $5,000 reward for information leading to Guy Heckel's discovery. The Cedar Rapids Gazette published copies of the reward poster on the day it was announced, and the Des Moines Register published the same poster the following month, on June 9th, in hopes of generating new leads on the case. And for years, there were no new articles on the case, and no new details were reported on. And just like on that February night, the trail went cold. The next small mention of the Heckel family finally appeared in the Cedar Rapids Gazette on the 18th of April 1977. Lynn County Sheriff Walter Grant stated in an interview a month before his retirement at almost 71 years old that two unsolved cases still haunted him, the disappearance of Guy Heckle on the scout outing and the disappearance of Lynn Shuler. Lynn Louise Schuler went missing a year before Guy Heckel did on the 6th of August 1972. Lynn had been born on the 5th of December 1946 and had been just 25 years old when she'd been reported as missing by her husband Keith Schuler, who was 6 years her senior. The couple were originally from Minneapolis where they had met when Lynn had been 13 years old and when Keith had been 19, excuse me? Why are you 19 talking to a 13-year-old? They moved to Cedar Rapids after the birth of their only son in 1969. In 1971, Lynn's husband decided that he wanted to file for a divorce. So Lynn was willing to fight to save their marriage. A year later, in 1972, Lynn actually expressed her concerns to her mother, Eloise Tickner, in a letter, in which she detailed her husband's desire to kill her. Her mother told the Gazette after her daughter's disappearance quote you never believe anything like that is going to happen in your own family so I threw the letter away. Like many tragic tales before Lynn's case and many more that followed, after that letter had been penned, Lynn vanished. She left behind her three-year-old son. Lynn's parents had been on vacation in the same place that their daughter and son-in-law had met when they had received a call from Lynn's husband stating that she had gone missing. Lynn's husband Keith owned a six foot long alligator called Poco and two pet snakes, and had served as a medic in the army for three years. He reported Lynn as missing to the Lynn County Sheriff's Office, but then he refused to take part in any of the search efforts for his own wife. With him eventually getting arrested on the suspicion of his involvement in his wife's disappearance. Just like Guy Heckles' parents, Lynn's parents also offered a reward of one thousand U.S. dollars for any information leading to Lynn's body or her whereabouts. Though, just like in Guy's case, nobody came forward. Everybody in the city, including the police department, believed that Keith Schuler had murdered his wife, cut her body up into little pieces and fed it to his pet alligator Poyo and his snakes. Keith then tried to obtain a divorce on the premise that his wife had deserted him. On the 20th of March 1978, a Dubuque district court judge granted Shuler's request to have Lynn Shuler declared legally dead. The couple's young son was the sole heir of Lynn's life insurance policy, with Keith, Lynn's husband, being listed as the conservator. When Lynn went missing, the 25-year-old had been five foot five inches or 165 centimeters and had weighed about 120 pounds or 54 kilograms. She had red hair. And brown eyes, and was possibly wearing green shorts, a green striped top, and white sneakers. As of the publication of this video, Lynn has not been found. By the time that Sheriff Grant had retired, he had changed his mind in Guy's case and had agreed that just like in Lynn's case, foul play had somehow been involved. By the time 1979 came around, Guy Heckles' parents were still clinging onto small pieces of hope that their son could be alive and well. Thinking about any other alternative had been far too painful. Guy's father said in an interview in the Cedar Rapids Gazette on the 22nd of January 1979, quote, Sometimes when I've driven down the highway and I have seen a young boy hitchhiking, I'll turn around and go back and take another good look at him is part of the hope i still hold in the same article lieutenant james neagle of the lynn county sheriff's department said that they still had no idea as to what happened to guy heckle he went on to state the extremes that everybody went to in order to search and find the boy he started off by saying quote extensive dragging operations in the area never found any other trace of young Heckel." he continued quote Hundreds of volunteers searched the area in a crisscross pattern and we are 99% sure every square inch was covered within a mile radius of the camp. The Sierra Madre search and rescue team also was called in and covered another 4-5 to five miles around the camp. We used every resource in the country, aircraft, horses, scuba divers, boats and foot searches checked out every lead, including possible abduction, but turned up nothing. Guy's parents admitted that there hadn't been much more that anybody could do given the resources available at the time. Quote, We are satisfied with the investigation. We don't know what more we could really ask for. We've never heard a word about what happened to Guy. It's just like blowing out a candle, but we haven't given up hope that he is still alive. His mother Nancy Heckle added, I don't think he ran away his coat was found and a boy that age just doesn't take off on his own. At the time of that article being published, Guy would have been 17 years old and despite the massive gap between when they'd last seen him, Guy's father said that he would still have been able to identify him on that day when the article was published. If play had been involved, his mother Nancy said that she wouldn't feel bitter towards the person responsible, but her husband quickly interjected saying, quote, We haven't walked in those shoes yet. But right now, we feel that we would try to help such a sick person. The family of four had always been close, with their daughters growing up they all gravitated towards one another in the loss of the little boy. His father showed how much his worldview had changed as a result of his son's disappearance, quote, I've learned to be more tolerant and to review my priorities as to what I was put on this earth for. The parents agreed that something had helped them greatly in adjusting to life without their little boy, and that had been their Christian faith. Howard Heckel said that his wife Nancy had already been really religious and had already had deep faith, quote, but I didn't, I became a Christian over the situation, he stated that the family had left the fate of their son in, quote, the hands of the Lord, he knows all about it and in time he'll let us know, the heckle stated in this article that they still spoke of the little boy that never returned home, and his father closed with, quote, I can't remember a day when he hasn't tugged at my heart, and I wouldn't want it any other way. We can talk about him and laugh about some of the funny things that he did." They are not being unrealistic though, and understood that their son could have died because of an accident such as drowning in the river. They were hopeful that foul play hadn't been involved in Guy Howard's disappearance but they had to keep their options open. So much so that in December of 1978, the family sent Guy's dental records to Chicago. And at that point, the city of Chicago was dealing with a haunting wall of its own. On the 21st of December 1978, a man by the name of John Wayne Gacy was arrested after a teenager named Robert Priest missing from Des Plaines in Cook County, Illinois. Gacy, born on the 17th of March 1942, became infamous as a serial killer and sex offender that operated in Norwood Park Township, Illinois, suburb of chicago before his crimes gacy was involved in politics working as an assistant precinct captain for the democratic party when he was just 18 years old there he ended up being convicted in 1968 of the sodomy of a teenage boy and even though he was sentenced to a 10 year sentence he only ended up serving 18 months of that sentence gacy is thought to have murdered his first victim at some point in 19 1972 and murdered at least thirty-two subsequent victims after his divorce from his second wife in 1976. Even though only thirty-three victims have been officially linked to Gacy, Gacy maintains that the total number of victims could have been as high as 45, at least that's what he claimed. He also said that he'd thrown five of his victims into the Des River, but only four of those victims were actually recovered from the river and linked to him. Those four victims have been identified. Only 24 of the 29 bodies belonging to young teenagers and young adults recovered from John Wingacy's home were actually identified as of filming this video. Their ages varied from 14 years old to 21 years old. Although John Doe number two is believed to have been between the ages of 23 and 30 years old. When asked whether there were more victims to be found, Gacy said, quote, that's for you guys to find out. As I believe it is extremely important to remember the victims when discussing true crime cases, and especially in the Gacy case, we're gonna take a moment to go through his victims and see their faces i'm going to put it all on screen now with their names Um, i just want you to take a moment to think about them and remember them daryl julius Sampson, 18 years old david paul talzma 19 years old francis wayne alexander 21 years old frank william landingen 19 years old gregory john godzip 17 years old james brian hakenson 16 years old James Mazarer, 20 years old John Alan Sick, 19 years old John Anthony Murray, 19 years old John Bukovic, 18 years old John Stephen Prestige, 20 years old Kenneth Ray Parker, 16 years old Matthew Walter Bowman, 19 years old Michael Lawrence Bonin, 17 years old Michael Marino, 14 years old Randall Wayne Reffitt, 15 years old Rick Louis Johnston, 17 years old Robert David Winch, 16 years old Robert Edward Gilroy Jr, 18 years old Robert Jeremy Peast, 15 years old Russell Lloyd Nelson, 21 years old Samuel G. Dodd Stapleton, 14 years old Timothy David O'Rourke, 20 years old Timothy Jack McCoy, 16 years old Tommy Joe Bowling, 20 years old William George Bundy, 19 years old William Huey Carroll, Jr., 16 years old, and William Wayne Kindred, 19 years old. Gay Seed still has five victims left to be identified. Body 28, a male, aged 14 to 18 years old, killed between January 3rd, 1972 and July 31st, 1975. He had brown hair stood approximately 5 foot 9 or 180 centimeters tall and he wore a silver ring on his left ring finger, suggesting that he may have been married. Body 26, a male aged 23 to 30 years old, who was killed between June 13th and August 5th, 1976. He had medium dark brown hair, he was 5 foot 4 inches or 160 centimeters in height. He had two missing upper front teeth, leading investigators to believe he likely wore a denture. Body 13, a male aged 17 to 22 years old, Killed between the 6th of August and 6th of October 1976 He stood between 5 foot 9 and 6 foot 2 tall He had long dark brown wavy hair He had an abscessed tooth at the time of his death And a misaligned upper canine tooth And may have injured his left third rib months or years before his death Body 21, a male aged between 15 and 24 years old who was killed between the 6th of August and the 24th of October 1976 He was 5 foot 10 tall Had light brown hair and sadly, no more information is available on his identifiers. And finally, Body 10, a male aged 17 to 21 years old, killed between the 15th of March and the 5th of June 1977. He was between 5'7 and 5'11 tall. He had suffered a fractured left collarbone months or years before his disappearance. As a side note, the Cook County Sheriff's Office is seeking the living family members who first had a male relative go missing between 1970 and 1979 in the United States, Second, are directly related to the missing person by a blood relationship. And third, are willing to donate a DNA sample for direct comparison to the five unidentified Gacy victims. The then-recent grisly findings in the John Wayne Gacy case had been a grim realisation that Guy Howard Heckle may have not just fallen into the river and may have met a more sinister fate. His anguished parents stated, quote, we haven't heard of any remains of boys that small being found, but we send the records because Gacy was in the area at one time and could have driven through here on his way to Chicago. Now, at the time of Gacy's case and Guy Howard Heckle's case, only a few of Gacy's victims had actually been identified, which had let a lot of the family members and loved ones of missing youths in a heart-wrenching situation. Although Chicago Police Superintendent James O'Grady had ordered a computerised program to help identify and trace missing persons within the city of Chicago in connection to the John Wayne Gacy case, they did decide to actually extend the area beyond the chicago area and given the fact that john wayne gacy had lived in the state where guy howard heckle had gone missing guy's dental records were apparently accepted for comparison although no other information has come out about that comparison there are no more news sources or articles or any official documentation available to the public that state whether there was a match whether there wasn't a match what they found or anything like that um, we just know that it was accepted for comparison and we can presume that there hasn't been a match. On the 24th of July 1995, the Cedar Rapids Gazette published an article that featured both Howard and Nancy Heckel, Guy Howard Heckle's parents, a month after Jodie Sue Heusentreat went missing. Jodie Sue Heusentreat was born on the 5th of June 1968 in Long Prairie, Minnesota. Not all too much is known about her childhood, but what we do know is that she excelled academically, which saw her go on to become a news anchor for KIMT, the CBA affiliate in Mason City, Iowa. Judy went missing on the 27th of June, 1995, at the age of 27. She disappeared by her car after oversleeping. Her personal items, including a bent car key, were found on the ground beside the car. There had been an unidentified harm print on her vehicle and it is widely believed that Jody had been abducted. Now she was declared legally dead in May of 2001 and that's important to note within her case. But despite that a licensed private investigator called Steve Ridge offered a reward on the case as a private citizen earlier this year in 2023. This private investigator did get the blessing of Jody's sister for the reward for offering the reward which totaled 25,000 US dollars. The investigator said, quote, I speak with Joanne, who is Jody's sister, on a regular basis, and we have decided the timing is right to seek information on where Jody's body was discarded. This reward does not require an arrest or conviction, but simply the recovery of Jody's remains. Jody was five foot four or 162 centimeters tall at the time of her disappearance and weighed 115 pounds or 52 kilograms. She was described as a Caucasian female with blonde hair, brown eyes, and pierced ears. The article that mentioned Guy Howard Heckold's parents had opened with the fact that they know the agony of searching for a missing loved one. Their little boy, Guy, had been missing for about 22 years at the time that this article had been published. And in this article, they stated that they really did sympathize with Jodie's family. Quote, It seems we're living in perilous times. I just can't help but feel for her folks. I know what they're going through. Guy Heckel's father, Howard said. Now Guy's family watching the progress of Jody's case through the media brought back a lot of memories for them of those first few months searching for their son. His mother Nancy said, quote, Not knowing is very hard. The chances of him being alive. She trailed off. We have to be realistic. For more than a year, Guy's father reminded the public the family conducted their own search for their missing son. His father, who had been 57 years old at the time, said, We had a boat, we go out after work every day, and we can By 1995, Guy's father spent his time tinkering around the yard with his wife Nancy, who was 63 years old at that point, and who continued to work as a registered nurse at Mercy Medical Center. Guy's sisters, who were aged 12 and 13 at the time of Guy's disappearance, had by that point lived out of state by 1995. For years, they kept their son's bedroom just the same as it had been when he disappeared, as do many families of missing people, particularly of missing children. Eventually, they turned Guy's bedroom into a spare bedroom after giving away his and and donating most of his toys and clothing. Something that they couldn't donate or give away though had been guy's boy scout shirt which had been similar to the one that guy had been wearing when he went missing by the time that guy's parents had decided to convert guy's bedroom into a spare bedroom guy would have been 33 years old and by that point his father said that he no longer held on to the hope that he'd be able to recognize his son because so much time had passed quote the picture in my mind is always as he was a little boy Despite all of this, they still held on to the hope that this case would be solved. With much of their hope and passion and drive, they said, coming from their faith in God. Howard doubled down in what he had said in a previous interview in 1979, saying, I was not a believer before. Being a Christian has given me the assurance that I'll see him again someday. That is enough. On the 20th of January 1998, Howard Heckel, Guy's father, tragically passed away from renal cancer, still waiting, still waiting for his son to return home. His obituary, published in the Cedar Rapids Gazette, noted that he was preceded in death by his son. He left behind his two daughters, an unknown number of grandchildren, and his wife Nancy. He said that even though it had been written in the obituary that Guy had passed away before his father, she was no longer sure how Howard had felt. Quote, I don't think my husband ever did give up hope. He wouldn't say if he did. The family requested no flowers and asked that memorial contributions be made to the charity of the donor's choice. Now within this entire case, a case as complex as this, several theories began to present themselves theories either proposed by law enforcement or by members of the public or by guy's own loved ones and even though we have touched on and gone through a few mentions of what what fate might have befallen guy let's take a look at some of these theories now now i do have to reiterate and point out that these are just theories they are not fact uh they shouldn't be taken as facts or as bible or anything like that they are just theories and speculation there are so many other theories that we're not going to touch on in this video which are blazingly just disrespectful in my view and in the view of my team and so we're not touching on them. we're just going to be touching on the the main theories and theories that we don't seem to be uh disrespectful or you know just too out there if that makes sense but yeah these theories are just theories they're nothing more than just speculation fallen in the river this theory states that after running from his fellow troops while playing the capture the flag game guy howard heckle had accidentally fallen into a river additionally it is also suggested that he may have tried to cross the river and hide in its riverbanks. Even though his jacket had been found halfway zipped up, had it become caught on the branch of the tree where it had been found, a small 11 year old boy could easily have been pulled from inside of the jacket by the forces of the river and as for the reason that the young boy's body or remains have not yet been found it must be noted that the cedar rapids are fast moving bodies of water which unfortunately will tear down and beat anything within them there may not have been that much to find after the snowstorm and this is a theory that appears that guy's family had made the most peace with when it comes to his disappearance this is Kind of the one that they support the most. Exposure or fall. The next theory states that maybe Guy hadn't drowned, but that didn't mean that he had left the woods that they were playing the game and capture the flag in. According to the National Park Service, between 120 and 150 people die each year in United States forests. The most common cause of deaths at national parks are slips and falls, something which could have happened to Guy. These incidents account for nearly 50% of all deaths at national parks in the United States. He may have fractured his feet or legs. He may not have been able to move to safer locations. And he may have just succumbed to his environment and to his injuries. Element exposure is also another leading cause of death. Most of these are caused by extreme temperatures or environmental changes, such as extreme heat or cold. It had been February, in the dead of winter, at night, and there had been a snowstorm looming over the states for days after Guy went missing. Everything could have been against Guy's odds of survival. The next theory had been that foul play had been involved. Although stranger abductions are rare, accounting for 28% of all abductions in the United States according to the child crime prevention and safety centre, this cannot be ruled out. Between the year 2010 and 2017 there had been fewer than 350 people under the age of 21 years old. Who'd been abducted by strangers in the united states confirms cases that is according to mike mason who had been guy heckles cousin mike stated that the family had filled that foul play could have been involved in his disappearance on account of the fact that guy's body had never been found to this day it's just not been recovered to this day and at the time of guy's disappearance there had been numerous reports of iowa boy scout troop leaders allegedly molesting troops so young boys in their care which further added to this theory of foul play and this had been the theory that sheriff grant had believed in the most guys family did believe this theory too for what seems like quite a long time but it appears that for their own sake they don't see this as the most viable theory. A subtheory of the foul play theory had been that Guy Heckel had been a victim of John Wayne Gacy. From what we could gather of the five unidentified young men murdered by John Wayne Gacy, none have been ruled out as being Guy on the National Missing and Unidentified Persons System website. Of note, the website states that 600,000 people go missing each year, with 4,400 unidentified bodies being recovered within that same time frame. When we take a closer look at the unidentified men whose lives were taken by John Wayne Gacy, Guy Howard Heckle is nowhere to be found. Now that isn't to say he wasn't excluded. The website, like any database, has its flaws. And with a case so old, maybe he was excluded at the time and the records weren't updated to reflect that, which therefore meant that that data wasn't added to the website. The fact still stands though that there have been no public articles or public mentions that provide an update on the testing that took place with the dental record matching and the fact still stands that guy's family never spoke of this dental record matching again which could indicate that there is generally nothing to see there that there's nothing came of it it still leaves room for one unsettling question though have we known where guy has been all along the final theory in this case had been that guy had been subjected to an animal attack now iowa has over a thousand one hundred different species of fish and wildlife and although animal attacks in the wilderness are quite rare they're considered to be something that doesn't happen very often we can't rule it out the state's forests are home to various species that are not harmless to people but even though they're harmless to humans meaning they don't like seek out people If they are provoked, if they feel threatened, they could cause harm. Many large common forest animals include the white-tailed deer, grey foxes, red foxes, coyotes, and bobcats. Although mountain lions and moose have been seen in many parts of Iowa, They are not resident species and are likely simply crossing over from neighbouring states. There are also four different species of venomous snake that like to call Iowa its home. However, like the natural predators in the area, they almost never attack people when they come into contact with them. These species include Copperheads, also known as the most common snake in the US, that lives near streams and waterways. A timer rattlesnake, their bite can be fatal if it is left untreated and they inhabit forests and marshy areas. Prairie rattlesnakes, who prefer dry areas with moderate vegetation coverage, who are typically more active diurnally in the cooler weather and nocturnally during hot weather. And finally the eastern Massasauga rattlesnake, which is an endangered species that possesses a cytotoxin venom that destroys tissue. It's important to note that there are no reports of anybody in the area hearing anyone or guy heckle call out for help or call out in pain and these animal attacks within the national parks of the United States are really really rare however we can't rule it out completely the final interview that we could find that discussed guy howard heckle had been in the cedar rapids gazette and that was in an article published on the 3rd of February 2002 in this article they describe Nancy who is guy's mother as sitting on a sofa in front of a wall of photos of her children and many grandchildren. Nancy recalled her son's marvelous sense of humor and described him as a comical child. She also recalls that they never had a funeral or memorial service for their little boy, who will always and forever be 11 years old in his family's eyes. Nancy still clings to the hope that one day they will find out whatever happened on that February night. She shared her thoughts with the reporter Steve Gravel, quote, I don't have any hopes that he is alive now, but we would like to know what happened. If someone knows that Guy met with foul play, it's not too late to give Guy's family some peace. Reminiscing on how the family dealt with the loss of their son and brother, she said, quote, I've heard people say that kids deal with things well, but looking back, I'm not sure. It disrupted our lives it took attention away from the girls guys sisters because of course we were concentrating on the search recently the 50th anniversary of the disappearance of guy howard Heckel has come and gone and no amount of words can express the grief and sheer pain endured by everybody who knew guy howard Heckel. his parents lives were never the same His sisters lost a brother, and his fellow Boy Scouts would never forget him. Almost three years ago, one of the boys that was in the same class as him posted a comment on his case as an answer to the question, Small Town Redditors, what's the weirdest unsolved crime in your town, old or new? Someone replied to him saying, quote, I was a Girl Scout summer camp employee, counsellor, and we do a week of training before the summer season begins, and we talk about Guy as a cautionary tale to watch your kids like a hawk. Regardless, regardless of which theory you lean towards, or how obvious the answer may seem to you, this young boy, Guy Howard Heckle, deserves to have his story and his name remembered and heard. We only have one picture of Guy, and we don't know his favourite colours, hobbies, or foods, but we know no one has ever forgotten the impact his life had on the world, even 50 years later. This little boy, as of this video being posted, hasn't yet been found, and his family deserve to know that his memory didn't freeze on that February night. It will forever echo. Guy remains listed as a missing person with the Lynn County Sheriff's Office. He's described as being four foot five or 134 centimeters tall and weighing around 50 to 80 pounds, or between 27 to 36 kilograms. The case remains active. If you have any information regarding Guy Heckles' unsolved disappearance, please contact Lieutenant Gene Parks at the Lynn County Sheriff's Office at 319-892-6100. Des Moines Police Department at 515-283-4800. And that's everything that I have for you in today's case. A special thank you to my amazing researcher Helena Alexandra for all the amazing work that you have done on this case and helping pull all this information together and uncover everything that we have within this video. You've done amazing work, Helena. Make sure Say thank you to Helena in the comment section down below. I really, really appreciate it. Don't forget to subscribe to this channel if you want to see more true crime content just like this video. And with all that being said, I'll see you in the next case.